Hello there and welcome to City Breaks, a slightly different City Breaks episode to cope with these very unusual times that we're living through. And just a word or two before we get on to the episode proper. Travels come to a halt. It's going to be tricky to keep City Breaks going. Can't go to a new city and learn all about it and do a new series. But I don't want to let the thing flag completely. So I've come up with the idea of doing something on virtual visits. More about that in a moment. But first a reminder about ways in which you can participate in City Breaks. Get some of your ideas onto the podcast or onto the website. I'd very much like to do an episode in a few weeks' time with listeners' ideas. Where would you like to go for a city break? Perhaps somewhere you've been already that you're recommending to other people, or maybe somewhere you just still long to go. And why would that be? We'd love to have your ideas. So for me, it might be, oh, Florence again, please, so I can see lots more Renaissance art. Or perhaps it would be St. Petersburg, because I'd like an evening at the Mariinsky Ballet. Or maybe I'm longing to go to Toulouse, so I can drift up the Canal du Midi or sip a cocktail in that lovely Place Capitole. So, whatever it is, please send your ideas in. There are three different ways to contact us. One is to go onto the website and leave a comment on the blog. So the website address is www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk or you can email citybreaks at citybreakspodcast.co.uk or if Twitter's your thing, you'll find us at at City Breaks Cast, C-A-S-T on the end of City Breaks, short for podcast. I think City Breaks Podcast was already taken. So please do get in touch and send an idea. If you've got a photo as well, that would be even better. We can put those on the website. So without further ado, let's get on with this week's episode. a virtual visit. Why a virtual visit? Well, now does seem a good time, because let's face it, you're probably not going on a real visit. Perhaps you want to reminisce about somewhere you've been, or perhaps you want to prepare ahead for a visit to Florence and would like some ideas about how to best do that. I chose Florence for the very first City Breaks series, and again for this very first virtual episode, for so many reasons. It's the high capital of Renaissance art, I saw a survey on Twitter recently which listed 10 cities and asked people to vote for which one they'd most like to visit. Florence came top. If you Google best cities or top cities or cities to visit, you'll find that there are loads of surveys out there and that Florence is very often mentioned in the top few. So, a virtual visit. How's that going to work? I've done a trawl and I found half a dozen really good websites and in one case a YouTube video there to be enjoyed and make you feel as if you spent a morning or two in Florence itself. So the main part of the podcast is going to consist of me going through those, giving you the website addresses and a few little pointers as to some of the things that I enjoyed finding on them. So first of all, supposing you want to get into Renaissance art before you actually get to the nitty gritty of Florence itself, the very best website I found to help you do that is one called www.italianrenaissance-art.com. Chock full of information. History, artists, techniques, all sorts. So the history section, for example, 
Do you already know your early Italian Renaissance from your high Renaissance? Would a handy timeline help you make sense of the topic? This one starts in the 1260s with the birth of the artist Giotto and takes you right up to 1594, the death of Tintoretto. It gives you lots of artists, tells you who was painting what, when, and links to historical events. So who was painting, for example, at the time of the completion of the Florence Cathedral? There's a section on techniques. I'm going to quote a bit in a minute on frescoes. There's a really useful section called the Renaissance in Florence which is a takes you through the whole thing, what to see and where in Florence you need to go to see it. You can look up all the artists that are mentioned and there are dozens and dozens of them. And for each one you get a biography, lots of big colourful pictures. For some of them you there's a little gallery of their main paintings that you can click through. For example, Fra Lippi, there's a 12 picture gallery for him that you can click through and it'll tell you which ones can be found in Florence and where you have to go to see them. So, for example, his child with two angels is at the Uffizi, his Madonna and child is at the Palazzo Pitti, and his Annunciation is in the Church of San Lorenzo. So, just to look at a little bit of detail, the section on techniques, for example, will tell you all about fresco painting. You'll find out that it dates back to at least 1500 BC, but got a new impetus during the Renaissance in Italy because the painters discovered that if you were painting on a wall as decoration, it was much better to do it when the plaster was wet, because your painting would last much longer. It no longer just sat on top of the plaster and would wear away. It was bound into the structure of the plaster. And once people worked this out, it became the standard method of decoration in the city. All of this you will know from this website. If you go to the Renaissance Art in Florence section, masses of detail. Here's the opening quote. The city was at the heart of this revival, fuelled by wealthy patrons and large commissions from the Catholic Church. The many workshops of the city produced a huge amount of art of incredible quality. On this section, it goes through some of the main places in Florence and tells you lots about them. The Bargello, the Accademia, the Uffizi are all covered. More about them a bit later, so I won't dwell on those now. Tells you that if you go to the Santa Maria Novella Church, the one just by the station. There you can see frescoes by Paolo Uccello and Giotto's lovely crucifix hanging from the ceiling facing the altar. You might remember from episode 6 of the series, we talked about how that crucifix had been hidden out the back for centuries and that when it was found, they went to great trouble to work out where Giotto had intended it to hang and put it back in its rightful place. You can look up other buildings on this website, the Medici chapels, for example where you can see Michelangelo's famous sculptures, which were tributes to two of the Medici family, one called Night and Day, the other Dawn and Dusk. It takes you to the Museo dell'Opera del Duomo, the Museum of Works from the Cathedral. It tells you what you can see there, the eight original panels from the Gates of Paradise. Michelangelo's Pieta, the statue that the artist himself damaged in frustration when it wasn't going as he wanted which had to be mended and finished off by one of his students. The courtyard of this museum, the website tells us, is the very site where Michelangelo worked, producing his statue of David, keeping it there hidden away from prying eyes until he was satisfied with it. It's also the room where the architect Brunelleschi gathered all the materials for the wonderful dome that he was going to build for the cathedral, which everybody else said could not be done. So, from this website... 
italian-renaissance-art.com, you will get both an overview of Renaissance art generally and in Florence in particular, and some really useful details about exactly where to go to see what and exactly what you're looking at. The details about technique or history that bring the works to life. A couple more websites linked to actual art galleries in Florence that I would highly recommend. For example, www.virtualuffizi, all one word, dot com. Marvellous selection of pictures and information. There's a section called the artworks, full of several hundred paintings from the museum, any one of which you can click on to see who painted it and when and get a little bit of background info. There's a fantastic section called the artists, which is an A to Z menu, dozens and dozens of artists listed. Click on any one of those to find out more. There's a virtual tour of the museum. You can hover over a virtual map, click on the room, which will bring up a picture of the room and show you what it looks like and which artworks are on the walls. They are quite small, but it'll definitely give you a flavour, especially if, for example, you're trying to decide exactly which bits of the museum to go to so that you can make the most of your time when you get there. There's a section called the halls, which you can click on for details about any one of some three dozen rooms find out what's in them. These are cross-referenced then to artworks and artist sections. There's a history of the gallery and there's information too on current events, special exhibitions and so on. That's less useful just at present, but perhaps in the future will come back into its own. So just to go into a little bit of detail, a tiny proportion of the loads and loads and loads of information that is there. For example, you could find out something about the three gorgeous and huge Madonna pictures, which are in one of the very first rooms that you come to if you go around the Uffizi chronologically. You might remember they featured in episode 17 of the City Break series, which was on the Uffizi. Here you can find out that the reason the three paintings are called Maesta is that that means majesty, so they're all depicting the Virgin Mary in her majesty. You can hear who painted the three pictures, Cimabue, Duccio and Giotto. And they'll explain some technical details about the difference between the three, even though there was only less than a century between the three of them. You could see how the styles of the three artists developed, each perhaps influenced by the other. So the early one, the Cimabue, for example, is described as showing Byzantine style. Lots of gold, jewel-like colours, not much in the way of perspective. You could look up Botticelli and get details of some of his paintings, which are here in the huge room dedicated just to him, Primavera, or Spring in English, one of his classical paintings, or some of his religious works like Madonna of the Magnificat. There's a quote from Giorgio Vasari's book, The Lives of the Artists, which begins like this. In the time of Lorenzo de' Medici, Il Magnifico, so that's Lorenzo the Magnificent, there was a truly golden age for men of talent. There flourished an artist named Alessandro Botticelli. So setting the scene that in the midst of all these wonderful artists in Renaissance Florence, Botticelli really stood out. You can look up the Lippi's. Filippo and Filippino, father and son. And the text will set some of their paintings into context, writing about some of Lippi's paintings, Madonna with Child and Two Angels, for example. The text explains, quote, This is not only a devotional painting. The delicacy and sweetness of the Virgin Mary also show a new way of representing a religious subject more and more close to real human beauty. 
In a different section on the history of the gallery, it's explained exactly why this gallery is called the Uffizi. It's the Italian for offices. And they were designed in about 1560 by Giorgio Vasari. He was an architect when he wasn't writing his long gossipy articles about other artists. He'd been asked to design it by Cosimo de' Medici, who lived in the Palazzo della Signoria, but had a very large family, and decided that he would have a new set of buildings put up to be his offices, his admin buildings. And that's why they're called the Uffizi. Another website that I would highly recommend is one called www.visittuscany.com. So again, that's all one word, Visit Tuscany. Packed with information, I liked the section on the Bargello very much, and particularly in there, a little section called Top 5 Sculptures to See in the Bargello Museum in Florence. There was lots of other info, a map giving you the layout, where to find various pictures and so on. But I think a top five list here and there really does focus the mind and give you something specific to go and look for. And among their top five, they listed in first place the two models which came top in a competition held in 1401. The city of Florence set a competition for anyone who wanted to enter to design a set of bronze doors for the baptistry. Dozens of artists entered. The task was to submit a bronze sample to tell the story of the sacrifice of Isaac, the Old Testament story in which Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son to prove that he was willing to carry out God's orders. There were very precise instructions for this piece of art. It had to include the father and the son. There had to be an altar. There had to be a donkey, a hill, two servants and a tree. So a lot to fit in in a small model. And the two panels which were the winners, one by Giberti and one by Brunelleschi, are here for you to see. So you can study both and see who you would have picked. You may know that the eventual winner was Giberti, but that actually in a different competition, the one to design the dome for the cathedral, it was Brunelleschi who came out top and was given the commission. So hopefully they were both happy. Anyway, back to the top five sculptures. There's Donatello's St George, showing St George on horseback in the very act of killing the dragon and saving the princess. Deemed to be one of the very first sculptures in which the creator managed to get a a moment of drama, capture a moment of action rather than just showing something, a still life. Also on the list is a statue you may have seen pictures of, Donatello's Bronze David, perhaps not quite as well known as Michelangelo's David, but very striking when you see it. A beautiful object in luminous bronze, dating from, they think, about 1440, and of a very particular showing of this man. The way it's described on the website is, quote, There are some inexplicable details, like the choice of hat and boots, but no other clothing that are rather inappropriate for the shepherd boy that this figure is supposed to represent. I think we can agree that if you haven't seen it, you ought to, and if you have seen it, I'm sure you can remember it. A good section on another museum that you're almost certainly going to be interested in, the Academia, if for no other reason than the fact that that's where the Statue of David is. A website which is good on that is one called www.visitflorence.com. It's very upfront about the fact that you've probably gone there to see Michelangelo's David. Reminds you that, of course, his other very famous statue, the Prisoners, is there. And reminds you that, of course, there are lots of other things to see too. There is, for example, Gian Bologna's Rape of the Sabine Women. At least that's what it's called today, although the information on the website tells you that 
The sculptor himself never gave it a name. It wasn't meant to be a finished piece. It was meant to be a practice, an exercise, to see if he could do something that hadn't been tried before, which was to create a group of three figures from just one block of marble. It's become, says the information on the website, quote, the first example of such magnificent talent. It points out, too, that actually there are lots of smaller things that you might not know about, which you can get a lot of pleasure from looking at. So, for example, it talks about a piece called the Cassone Adimari, which is the front panel of a wedding chest belonging to a family called the Adimaris. And it's interesting to us today, partly because it's beautiful, but also because it depicts a Renaissance wedding taking place in Florence, showing you the wedding feast, the medieval streets, buildings you might recognise. You could pick out the baptistry, for example. And there are pictures of some of the brocade garments that the well-to-do, at least, would have worn on such occasions as a wedding. If you want to picture a noble family from the 1450s in Florence, you can do it by looking at this Cassoni. So it's telling you stuff about what you knew you wanted to know, David, etc., and other things to make sure that you don't miss out on lesser-known artefacts which are nevertheless very deserving of your attention. You're surely interested in the cathedral, and for that I found some very interesting information on a website called www.museumflorence.com. Again, Museum Florence written all as one word. Six detailed sections, all with glorious pictures, on all the different areas of the cathedral and its environ that you might want to consider visiting. If there's one well-known picture of Florence, it will be the cathedral, so you'll know to visit that. But the website here will remind you that there are all different aspects of it. So there's the cathedral itself, the dome, the baptistry next door, Giotto's bell tower in the cathedral square, the crypt and the museum. If you listen to episode two of the original City Breaks Florence series... You might remember the dramatic murder story connected with the inside of the cathedral, the Easter Sunday in the 15th century when poor Giuliano de Medici was murdered, part of an intrigue and argument between various banking families. And the other thing we talked about quite a lot was the building of the cathedral's dome. The gossip around it, the fact that Brunelleschi was asked to work together with another artist to design it, and refused, he took to his bed and wouldn't get up until the other man accepted that he couldn't do it by himself. So Brunelleschi said, right, I'll take the commission over and do it myself then. And on the website, you can see a series of diagrams showing exactly how it was designed. If you remember, everyone at the time, except Brunelleschi himself, said it couldn't possibly be done. And so it's quite interesting to see exactly the stages he went through and the physics behind how he managed to achieve it. And there's a word of praise too for the finished result on the website, which goes as follows. Quote, a masterpiece capable of withstanding lightning, earthquakes and the passage of time. It continues to enchant all those who observe it. If you'd like to do something a little bit more outside after all this art and architecture, then I could recommend a visit or a virtual visit to the Bobbly Gardens. Just across the river from the main part of Florence is the Palazzo Pitti the palace built by the Pitti family, most famous perhaps for its lovely gardens. And you can learn lots about those, either by watching a video which I found on YouTube. If you type in Italian gardens and the name of the man who made the film, Stephen Milton, Stephen PH, then you will find an eight-minute video which takes you right round the garden and tells you all sorts of interesting things about it. 
a visual delight. I don't think there is a lovelier Italian garden, and that's saying something. Or you could go back to the visitflorence.com website, where they too have a very long, detailed and wonderfully illustrated with glorious photographs piece on the Bobbly Gardens, which, as they point out, inspired so many other members of European royalty in other countries to try and design their own gardens. The most famous example perhaps being Versailles. It's believed that the garden there was based at least partly on the Bobbly Gardens here in Florence. The website will take you on a tour of the gardens to see things like the amphitheatre, the Viotoloni, the lovely long avenue of cypress trees with statues all along it, that will take you down to the Isolotto, which is a pond dating from 1618, with a glorious fountain in the middle, sitting on its own island with three sculptures around it. Then you can go and visit the Grotta Grande, the big grotto in English. Actually an artificial construction, but with a lot of trouble taken to make it look real. There are stalactites, there's vegetation, but there are also frescoes. The whole thing believed to have been designed as a setting for what the website calls, quote, secretive amorous meetings set up by Duke Francesco I of Medici, with, I'm afraid, we're not told who. Another section I can really recommend on the visitflorence.com website is the part devoted to what's called Dan Brown's itinerary. So it's a tour of Florence, again sumptuously illustrated with lots of glorious photographs, that takes you through the city to all the places which feature in the film of Dan Brown's novel. You get references to things that the characters are doing in these various places. You get lots of background history, occasionally putting what was in the novel straight, but more often just adding lots of detail so that not only are you following the plot of the film, you're learning lots about Florence. It starts like this, quote, In the novel, our professor, along with his adventure partner Sienna, are fleeing towards the city centre and decide to head over the wall by the Istituto d'Arte into the Bobbly Gardens. You don't have to do that. Remember, there is an entrance into the gardens right by the Porta Romana. Tells you about the visit of the professor and Siena to the Palazzo Vecchio and the way they are chased through various parts of the actual palace, for example, the Hall of Maps, the secret corridors, one of which leads out into the Piazza della Signoria. There's their visit to the Casa di Dante, Dante's house, described, again with a lot of extra information about Dante and the Dante Museum, which you can visit. Although, in fact, it comments that, quote, our pair just visit the bookshop since they're in a hurry, and then they stop in the nearby church before heading on to the Piazza del Duomo. The fact that the Professor and Siena visit the cathedral and the baptistery is an excuse on the website to give some details about both of those buildings. And we are told, rather tantalisingly, that, quote, a surprising discovery is made inside the baptismal font, which takes the Professor and Siena off to Venice, but we won't give out any more details. I think after a visit to the website, you'll be wanting not just to read the book and watch the film, but also, of course, to visit Florence. And then my final recommendation, in fact, is neither a YouTube video or a website. It's a much lower tech, actual book, but a marvellous book, just right for anybody who wants to know all about the history of Florence in the context of what they might be visiting. And it's entitled Florence, a Traveller's Reader, edited by Edward Cheney, Professor Edward Cheney, I believe. Over 200 carefully chosen extracts, written at all points in time from medieval right up to the modern era, 
and organised by place so you can read a set of extracts on the Uffizi, for example, or the cathedral. So you can be selective, just read about the places you think you're actually going to visit, or you could feast on the whole lot from cover to cover and end up knowing masses, masses, masses about Florence. So I'd like to end the podcast by just quoting a few little bits from a couple of extracts to give you the flavour. The first one is about a place I haven't mentioned yet, the Mercato Vecchio, the old market, but definitely a place that you will pass if not actually visit. And it was written in the 14th century by one Antonio Pucci. It's a long description of the market in those days with all kinds of lists of people you might meet if you went there. Woolen cloth dealers, traders in pots, butchers and the mysteriously named hucksters and sharp practices. There's lovely bits about all the things that you could buy there. Here's a quote about some stalls which are richly laden, quote, with hares, wild boars and goats, fowl, wild and tame, partridges, pheasants and huge capons, which they rear along with other birds for the gourmet's delight. And if you want to hunt, buy hawks and falcons here. A few lines towards the end of the poem tell us about the abundant fruits and vegetables that you can buy there. Quote, Girls from the country pack their baskets high with ripe round figs and grapes, peaches and pears. If you try repartee with them, they won't be shy. And some of them, brighter than florins, shine with flowers from gardens that they tend nearby. No garden, though, ever looked half as fine as the Mercato Vecchio does when spring is here. Makes you want to get on that plane and go straight there, does it not? You might know about the Ponte Vecchio, the old bridge, which spans the River Arno from the main part of the city over to the other side, and which has been across the centuries a place for little shops, often selling jewellery. Actually, originally it was for butchers' shops until it was decided that the smell of the discarded offal, etc. was too awful, and they were all ordered out and replaced by jewellers. Anyway, there's an extract in The Traveller's Reader, written in 1819 by one Lady Sidney Morgan, who is describing her attempts to have a piece of jewellery custom-made by one of the jewellery makers working on the bridge. She tells us how, despite the language difficulties, she explained to him extremely carefully what she wanted, sketched it with her pencil, cut it out in scissors, and, quote, left him with the full conviction that my order was understood and would be well executed. A conviction impressed by the manner in which it was received, for while I stood before him in all eagerness of detail suited to the importance of the subject, he was squatted in an easy chair, in a fine breathing heat after his siesta, his thumbs twirling, his eyes closing, and his answers laconically combined to Sara fatto, it shall be done, repeated every second. She goes on to describe how she calls in several times and keeps finding that he doesn't seem to have made any progress at all. In fact, at one point he actually says to her, Veramente non mi ricordo niente, signora mia. Truly, my lady, I remember nothing of all of this. So the tension increases, until finally, a day or two before she's due to leave the city, it all comes good. Quote, My patience and residence at Florence had now nearly expired altogether, when, a day or two before our departure, Saro Fatto, she decided to start calling him this because it's all he ever says, entered my room with the long-expected bando glittering between his finger and thumb, and with a look of the most obvious triumph distending his apoplectic face, he exclaimed, and then there's a whole string of Italian which translates as, 
Madam, what a beautiful thing, a marvellous work, and worthy of our divine Benvenuto Cellini. It's a piece that really takes you onto the Ponte Vecchio and into Italian culture, and back in time, to the early 19th century. And there are so many similar extracts in the book, about different places and from different time periods. Let's just finish with one which is rather horribly topical, being from Boccaccio's introduction to his story series, The Decameron, and taking as its topic, the Black Death, which ravaged the city of Florence and killed so many people. There were lots of gory bits describing what these poor people had to suffer. I think actually I did quote some of them in the episode on Dante, that was episode four of the original City Break series. But in these current coronavirus times, I think it's too depressing to do that. So I'm going to read a little bit instead about the effect on the city and the way people approached lockdown. Quote, They formed little groups and lived apart from everyone else, enclosing themselves in houses in which there were no infected persons, and so as to live healthily and temperately, consumed the most delicate foods and best wines, avoiding every luxury, and refraining from speaking with outsiders, or from hearing any news of the dead or diseased, and diverting themselves with music and whatever other pleasures they could conjure up. Others, taking an opposite view, that the surest medicine for so much evil was to drink heavily and enjoy things, went around singing and making merry, and satisfying every appetite they could, laughing and ridiculing whatever might happen. Curious to think that that was penned 700 years ago. So, I hope then I've given you some insights into Florence, into the idea of a virtual visit to Florence and into some of the places on the internet or in publications that you can use to do some virtual travelling while the real thing is proving difficult. If you haven't actually listened to the City Break series on Florence, perhaps this might whet your appetite for that. There are 19 episodes in total. A tour of all the main places you might want to visit in the city. Not too many lists and lists of things to look at because that's quite dull listening more sort of background information, stories behind the places you're visiting, mini biographies of people you'll meet in inverted commas if you go, like Dante and Machiavelli and Galileo, and some episodes that look at history and travel writing and novels set in Florence. So just a thought if you haven't come across them already. You can get them on any of the usual podcast providers or you can go straight to the website www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk Meanwhile though, I hope very much that you've enjoyed this extra episode. I'm planning hopefully to come up with some more virtual visits to some of the other cities that I've covered so far, all the while doing my best to research ahead for a new proper series just as soon as it's possible to get that together. So for the moment, in true City Breaks tradition, let me thank you very much for listening in the relevant language. Grazie and sign off with goodbye in Italian. Arrivederci.